0: I'm honored to be able to come and to preach today and to share the Word of God. Uh, Before I do that, I want to give you a quick update on something, though. Many of you might have seen a video that I shot out earlier this week. And that video was inviting everyone, if you wanted to come, uh, to a congregational gathering that we're having on September the 16th. We are moving our congregational gatherings. We used to have those on a Sunday evening. We're moving those to a Wednesday evening. Why? Because we have roughly 100 small groups, the majority of them meeting on Sunday nights. And so um, that messes some things up for a lot of people. And we want you to be in that community because that community is how you receive care and how you also hold each other accountable to truth and how you serve together. And so um, we're doing that on Wednesday nights at 6.30 on that September the 16th, we have a specially called Congregational Gathering. I don't actually have to tell you that right now, but I want to tell you that because God is doing such a marvelous work, and we're simply trying to join him in that movement. And we know that we need some space when it comes to kids and students and college uh, collegiate students and all types of things that are happening with counseling centers that we're looking at and so we're trying to figure out how do we accommodate for that. Uh, we, we built this facility three years ago and had no clue. We started with a service and um, n- had no clue what God would be doing. And we just want to join him in that. And so that's what we're trying to do. Um, many people are asking already, are we building a bigger worship center? We have no plans on building another worship cer- center, which is why we're just adding a service. Um, and that means you get to pray for all of us. Amen. Um, by the last one, I'm going to be <coughs> spunky. Let's just say that. Um, it's going to be a little all right, a little party. Um, so uh, you can be praying for that. But also September 16th, we invite you to come. Who is ready for the word of God today? I love it. Let's go. Samson. We're going to turn to the book of Judges. Um, Someone's like, oh, are you just contending with the series Break the Mold? Kind of, kind of not. I just want to preach Samson. Um, and it's on my heart. I, I really didn't even want to, but this guy kept bringing it back up. So I found myself working on a sermon. I'm like, I'm not even preaching that. And I keep working on that sermon. I'm not even preaching that. And God just said, you are supposed to preach this. And so I'm preaching it today. I'm working at this amazing story, um, Samson. I hope that you know the story already, but I'm gonna give it to you all today. Let me give you a little bit of history though. Um, you need to get ready to write some stuff down. And it's, it is, I'm just letting you know Um, Some people always say, well, Pastor, I love what you're saying, but can you slow down? The answer is today, no. It'll be faster. Um, There's a lot of information to unpack. So I'm going to speak about this pace the entire time. But you need to write down as much as you possibly can about the history and what's taking place here. Um, And let me go ahead and tell you, here's a key word, pride. So when I say full of, I'm going to raise my hand. You say pride every single time. Full of? That was Samson. He was full of? make people call it out. If the person sitting beside you is not calling out, nudge them. Because every single person in this place has pride of some sort. Every single one of you. If someone in here does not say that they have pride, I'm telling you now, they don't know their condition before God, and why He had to give His life—that very thing that we just celebrated through communion. So here is full of. So here's the history of Judges, written by Samuel. There are 12 judges in the Book of Judges. Samson's narrative being the longest and also the last. It's Judges chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16. Four chapters that kind of cover his life story and all that took place. Um, Let me even tell you, there's two different groups of people. You had the Israelites and you had the Philistines. The Philistines initially, they were in the Aegean Sea area. Think Greece. That's an easier way to think about it. And they tried to go down and move into the Egyptian area. Egypt had nothing of it. Punched them in the face. They said, okay, they're bigger and stronger than we are. They left. Went and camped out beside the territory of Israel. So all of a sudden, you had the Philistines there. They ended up ruling over the Israelites. We know that this was taking place, again, roughly 1,200 years before Christ. They ended up heading north to the border of Israel, settled, settled there, becoming enemies of the Israelites, but also ruling over them. And God, God raised up judges to push them out and to punish them. One of those leaders that he raised up to punish them was Samson. Now, sadly, the leaders of this day were as bad as the people of the day, and they had steered far, far away from God. The Israelites incorporated Baal as one of those gods or Baal, some people would say, but they incorporated the worship of Baal. They incorporated the worship of false gods on a continual basis. Here's what the Israelites always did. They wanted to do their own thing, but whenever something went bad, they would then call out to God and go, oh, God, help us. And then God would, in essence, say, you're doing whatever you want to do. Why would I help you? When you're worshiping false gods, you have idols all over the place, and you're not staying in true allegiance to who I am and who I've called you to be. How dumb are you? Now, it's not exactly like that in Hebrew, but it's close. We know that in Judges chapter 21, verse 15, you'll see it on the screen right here, that in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That is the definition of what was happening in Israelites. That is the definition of what's happening today. Everybody is doing what is right in their own eyes. We have no true king because we all worship self. That's just a general understanding of what our society is. I can go deeper into that one day just for fun. So here's Judges chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, Samson's story. Samson is someone else. Think about Abraham. Abraham and his wife didn't give birth. They were barren in life until much, much later. Same thing with Samson's story. His birth was predicted by an angel. His parents were loved by him. He was uniquely dedicated to God as a Nazarite. He's mentioned in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, which is the heroes of faith. Now, I will tell you now that he is someone that I, even though he's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, and I would say that he was a man of faith at times, I do not believe that he was a faithful man. Whenever I read the story of Samson, I scratch my head a lot. Because here's someone who was full of, He is, you did a horrible job on that one, but I love you in the name of Jesus. So here's Samson who's just full of, and he's just arrogant and he's living his own life, but God keeps using him. Sometimes, and let me go ahead and acknowledge this. Sometimes that we think that because somebody, God is using someone that they automatically are in a healthy relationship with God. God is going to use who will further his agenda, which is beyond our comprehension and understanding. His ways and his thoughts are higher than our own. That means yes, sometimes God is using people that we don't think that God should be using. And sometimes there are really amazing people who have a heart for God that we don't think that God is using in the magnitude and the scale that they should be being used. But guess what? It's up to God, not us. The reality is we still have the responsibility of being able to learn about them and learn from them so that we can stand, stand closer to who God is. So here's Samson mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, but I don't believe to be a faithful man, just a man of faith at times. He wasn't faithful to his vows. He wasn't faithful to his parents. He certainly wasn't faithful to his God throughout his life. His legacy is marked by pride and anger and lust and death. Samson wasted much of his life making poor decisions and living in sin. He constantly, you're going to see in his story that he gave into the flesh, he reminds me of someone who always wanted to have the final word. Maybe you know someone of that life because of his pride, because of his arrogance, and because he was, I would say, a key word for him. Write down, just write this one down, one word down, impulsive. He was impulsive. If you show me someone impulsive, I will show you someone who is often lacking to be led by the Holy Spirit and living by the flesh. And yet we know that according to Hebrews chapter 5, it's very, very clear through the words of Paul, we did this at a men's conference this last June, that you are either going to be led by the flesh or led by the spirit. You cannot be led by both. He's someone who just always wanted to be right. And he had this anger where he would just lash out all of a sudden. It was never surrendered to God always wanted to have the final word. He was always right when everybody else knew that he was wrong. You know that person? And so that if they are wrong, no, no, no. If this would have happened differently, it would have been good. They even justified their wrongness. Anybody married? No, don't. I'm kidding. Are there. But you know what I'm talking about? That's pride and arrogance. But some of you want to be used by God. If you know Jesus Christ And you know that you want other people to understand his glory and his power, his love and his grace, his forgiveness and his care, his his strength to be given in the midst of weakness. Then that means you want to be used by God to make sure that people know that he is Lord. Anybody here want to be used by God? Raise your hand, please, every one of you. If you know the power of Jesus and you don't want to be used by God to make God known, I'm going to question your understanding of knowing Jesus. We all want to be used by God. I would pray that's the desire for every single person who claims to to know him. But the greatest threat that we have to being used by God is ourself. We see that in the life of Samson. The greatest threat that we have to being used by God is ourself because we want to live according to our own way, our own desire and our own flesh rather than according to the spirit. And we need to know that it's our own character, our own integrity that matters the most. Samson represents Israel. And their continual, I'm going to be, I want to be used by God, but I'm going to live according to self. And they constantly are going, I'm going to live for God, I'm going to live for self. I'm going to live for God. That's the story of Israelites. Like that's just their story over and over and over again. And so here he is representing Israel while simultaneously also representing each one of us of living in that same pattern. I'm going to live for God, but man, I'm going to justify what I want over here. I'm going to live for God, but man, I'm going to justify what I want over here. And we constantly do it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes? If you're, if someone, if you, if there's air in your lungs, you understand what I mean. Samson, summary of Samson, his life, before I tell you the story, Samson failed to embrace his God-given purpose and continually chase his fleshly desire. That's a summary. I made it as simple as I could. Here's Samson. He failed to embrace his God-given purpose, even though God still chose to use him, But I think in a manner in which is much smaller than God really desired for him. Samson failed to embrace his God-given purpose and continually chased his fleshly desire. That's what he did over and over and over again. So I'll go ahead and tell you a story. So I told you Judges chapter 13, 14, 15, 16. I'm going to jump in right now to Judges chapter 14. Because I've already spoken much about chapter 13. Here's Samson. We know that the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him already. It tells us that in the end of chapter 13 says that this woman bore a son and called him Samson in verse 24 or 13. Now verse four, uh, chapter 14, Samson went down to Timnah. Now when the Philistines came in, from, they had tried to go to Egypt, as I said previously. They come into these border areas of Israel. They took over and created numerous cities. Timnah is one of them. Gaza was the largest in the capital of the Philistines. So they come in, and here comes Samson. He goes down to Timnah. Right away, here's an Israelite going into Philistine territory. Going into territory, he really didn't belong, but he goes down to Timnah and he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. He came up and told his father, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now go get her for me as my wife. Holy cow. That's how we're introduced to Samson. Ha! Ha. My kids aren't in the service, so I'm free to say, if my kids come and speak to me in that manner, you will never see that child again. Amen? (laughs) Do I hear a Hallelujah. If my son or my daughter comes and says, hey, I see this guy or this daughter who don't really, they, they're a Philistine, so they don't believe in our God. They have all those other gods, but all on other things else. I want you to go and fetch her for me. I need her now. Jesus is coming today. And yet that's what Samson is doing right here. And he says this very thing. I saw one of the daughters of Philistines at Timnah. Go get her for me as my wife. Father and mom's like, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives, among all of our people that you can take for your wife from the, instead of going to the uncircumcised Philistines? Why won't you choose from the people of faith, the people who have the same God? That's what I would tell my kids today. You, need to know, you don't date someone who is not a believer. The greatest problem in marriages today is that they are unequally yoked and have a different sacrifice and understanding of what it is to surrender to God. That is the greatest problem in marriages today, that one of you is wanting to chase harder for God. is the greatest issue because pride and bitterness and anger and resentfulness and all these other things come up. And as a result of that, you clash because one of you is going, I want to I sacrifice more and just be used by God. And one's going, no, no, what's wrong with me wanting to do this? Because you haven't asked God if that's what God wants you to have. And so it creates that. Well, you're about to see that happen, that very thing, because we already know that over and over in Scripture, the reason God is saying, no, 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 you don't go with other people. You go with people of faith. Deuteronomy chapter 7, Exodus chapter 34, two examples. Both times God says, listen, you don't go with other other people outside the Israelites because they don't believe in who I am. Why would you go and then be unequally yoked? Deuteronomy 7, Exodus chapter 34. It's a great homework for you to go read. People... The, the individuals that you date matter. For you to start dating someone, if you say that you're a passionate lover of Jesus, that you will die breathing his name, that you will die professing that he is Lord, that he is Savior, and that you're going to throw a coin up in the air and hope that you marry somebody who one day will come to know Jesus Christ, is I would say just flat out irresponsible. Have I hit close to home yet? And if you go, well, that's not fair, Pastor, blah, 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 just listen to Samson's story, and then you'll hear what I'm talking about. Just listen to a story, and you'll go, oh, maybe I need to repent. So here he is. He's like, Samson said to the father in verse 3, get up. Listen to this. His father and mother said, is there not a woman? But Samson said to his father, end of verse 3, get her from me, for she is right in my eyes. There's an introduction to Samson. God's instructed the people not to intermarry because the non-believer would turn the hearts from the believer away from God. We already know this, and yet he's still choosing to do this. Now, Nazarites had three things that they lived by, three rules that they lived by. Samson pushed against every one of them because he was so arrogant and proud, right? He was full of, three things they can't do. One, they aren't to eat or drink anything from the vineyard. Not just wine, they can't eat or drink anything from the vineyard. These are important. So no vineyard, no cutting of hair. They were the initial COVID people, all the men who said, can't count hair. We took it from judges. Right? So nothing to do with the vineyard, nothing to do with cutting hair, and you cannot be allowed near a dead body. It can't be a dead body in terms of person, animal, or anything. Can't be a near one. Those are the three rules of the Nazarite. Well... As a result, this is what ends up taking place. Let me just run through some more of this story. So Samson goes down right away. We see in um, chapter 14, verse 5, he's walking through a vineyard to go to where he wants to go. Now, this is what I mean. You've got some people who always want to push the limits. Is he supposed to, be, to consume anything from a vineyard? Yes or no? no? And yet now he's walking through a vineyard. Why put yourself in that situation? You know, there's people who they're like, oh, well, I, you can't tell me what to do. Someone who automatically has a posture, you can't tell me what to do. They are prideful and they are insecure. Those are twin sisters. We say it all the time. You can't tell me what to do. You have no right to tell me what to do. Lord have mercy. Step away from them because more than lightning is going to hit. At some point, may not be today, but at some point, you can't tell me what to do. Well, here's Samson. He's not supposed to be anywhere near a vineyard. He walks to a vineyard. He's a person, I'm not gonna play with fire, but I'm gonna get so close that my hair's singed. You know those individuals? It might be you. So he's walking through the vineyard and says that all of a sudden, the spirit of the Lord came upon him he had nothing in his hand, but there's a lion, right? The, a young lion came toward him roaring. And so what does he do? He shreds it apart. with He tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. Now, that's more, this, this whole tearing a young goat with your hands apart is mentioned more than once. I, don't, I think that I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I've researched it. I don't know if it's like what they did on Friday nights. Hey, let's get a goat and shred it. I don't, I don't get it. But that's what it's comparing it to. So here comes this lion in a vineyard. So one, remember, he's not supposed to be even near anything with the vineyard. Shouldn't really even be in that place. And now here comes the lion, sheds it apart, kills an animal. Now he's near a dead body. Wow. Arrogant. Full of... He didn't tell his parents what he had done. He goes down talks with the woman. She was right in Samson's eyes, verse seven. After some days, he returned to her, turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And of course, there's a swarm of bees in the body of the lion. He scrapes out all the honey and takes it to his father and mother, but didn't tell him where it came from, that it came from the carcass of a lion. So now he's even putting his own wrongness of taking from a dead body and being near it. He's putting that and projecting it onto other people. Some of you are projecting your own sin onto other people. Can I beg you to stop? And some of us are allowing for others to be allow, you know, impact us by their sin and by their wrongdoing. And we go, oh, that's cool, you know, it's just part of life. No. Part of life is surrendering and sacrificing to Jesus Christ because He has sacrificed the ultimate thing for us. But he does that very thing. He comes down. Samson is coming to have a feast there. As soon as the people saw him coming in, these 30 companions came to be with him. Now, these would have been Philistines. Samson said to them, let me put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what is within these seven days of these feasts, because a wedding feast would have seven days. He's supposed to marry this woman. That's what they're doing. And so he's like, hey, I'm going to give you a riddle. Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And so for three days, they could not figure this out because he, he made an agreement with them. If you can tell me what this riddle means, I'm going to buy you all basically a new set of clothes. And if you cannot, you all have to buy me a new set of clothes. That's how arrogant and prideful he was. Well, in three days, they could not solve the riddle. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, she's, he's being married to, entice your husband. Now remember, she's a Philistine. Entice her husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you in your father's house. So she, they're coming to her and saying, you tell us what this riddle means. Otherwise, I want to kill you and every family member you've ever had. Well, okay, that's a good day. All right? Because now all of a sudden she comes and she begins to weep over him and said, you only hate me. You do not love me. You have put a riddle to my people and you have not told me what it is. And he said to her, Behold, I have not told you, my father and my mother, shall I tell you? But she just kept weeping. Those are, man, what a way to start a marriage. That would have been rough. You finally get a wife, and they're just crying every day, every day, weeping and weeping and weeping. And I think probably the tears, we don't really know, I think the tears are probably genuine, because she knows that either way she loses. On the seventh day, he told her because she pressed him so hard. She told the pe- riddle to the people. And the men came and said, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And she, he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Men, first thing you need to know, never refer to your wife as a heifer. <laughs> like, I don't like... For, My wife was up here on the stage earlier. I love her. I, I looked at her yesterday. I was like, what, if, what would happen if I called you a heifer? She just did this. <laughs> I, in that moment, I knew the answer. If you have referred to your wife as a heifer, you now know why you're single. He calls it out. If you had not power with my or you would not have found out my riddle and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. This does not make any sense whatsoever. But he goes down and he struck down 30 men in the town, took their spoil and gave the garments to those he had told the riddle so that he could pay his due. He had this hot anger when he went back to his father's house. That is him. He was impulsive. And he had this hot anger, and he tried, I think, to contain it, but it would just come out. I ne- you need to recognize if that is you. There are so many of us who have disguised our sin. Stop disguising your sin. Surrender your sin before God so that he can wreck you and bring you to that place of brokenness so that you can now live according to his will and his purpose and his ways. Now, what he's about to do is really remarkable in chapter 15. It says, it's the days of the wheat harvest. Samson goes out, uh, went to visit his wife with the young goat. Here comes a young goat again. Oh, boy. Um, And he's like, man. Um, He finds out. He goes back to be with his wife. He went to visit his wife with the young goat And here's what her father said. Uh, I'm going to have to let you know something. I thought that you utterly hated her, so I gave your wife to your companion, your best man. He went to visit his wife. His wife's father said, I gave her away to your companion because I thought you utterly hated her. Oh, but by the way, she has a younger sister who's more beautiful than she is. What? What? Well, this just infuriated him. So then he does something, verse 4 and following. He says, Samson went and called 300 foxes. Imagine this. Now, this is actually, and it's not good for the foxes, but this is brilliant. Like, this is like creativity. He's about to get an A+. He gets, catches 300 foxes. He ties them together by their tails and pairs, lights them on fire. They run through all the fields, the wheat grains, everything else, and lights up everything that the Philistines owned. Now, that's horrible for foxes, but creativity, you got to get like, okay, what? But he was impulsive, and he was strong. The power of God was in his life, and so this is what he ends up doing. And so the, the Philistines were just dealing with this guy. He ends up going and hanging out in a cave. They don't know what to do about that, so they go to the Israelites and say, listen, can you not help us out here? The Israelites come to him, and I'm I'm abbreviating this story, but the Israelites come to Samson finally and says, listen, can we please turn you over to the Philistines? Because if we don't, you're making our life miserable. What's with you, man? Can you just help us out here? We just want to have peace. We don't have the strength that they have. We don't have the wisdom that they have. We just want to be left alone. The Israelites always acted as though they were still slaves in Egypt and never fully embraced that they were now captive to the freedom of Jesus Christ. They never got it. And I'm saying Jesus Christ, yes, because of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's a freedom in God that they never fully embraced. And so they come to Samson, like, what do we need to do, man? Help us out. Can we turn you over to the the Philistines? And he says, like, listen, are you going to kill me when you find me? They say, no, we're just going to hand you over to him. So he says, fine, hand me over to him. So he's handed over to the Philistines. Well, he came. the Philistines came shouting to meet him. The spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire and his bonds melted off his hands. He found the fresh jawbone of a donkey, which he shouldn't even have in his hands. And he put out his hand and took it. And with it, he struck a thousand men dead. Arrogance and pride. He says, with the jawbone of a donkey, have I struck down a thousand men? And then he threw away the jawbone out of his hand. Well, after this, you know, he's already lost his wife. He's still doing anything that he wants. Samson went to Gaza. There he is in the capital. He's getting more brazen. He's already gone places he shouldn't go like Timna. Well, now he's going to go to the capital. He's just getting more and more arrogant and pompous. I can do what I want. You can't tell me what to do. So he goes to the, there and he says that he saw a prostitute and he went into her and the Gaz, Gazites were told, Samson has come here. They surrounded the place and set an ambush for him. But he, here he is with the prostitute. And he's like, hey, we're going to wait until light and then we're going to kill him. But he laid till midnight. He got up. He arose, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and took them to the front of Hebron, which is huge. He took these just to humiliate them. I can do what I want and you can't stop me. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Shorek whose name was Delilah. Now, this is the only place that we really find Delilah, Delilah. is in chapter 16 here. So here she is. Delilah is here. The Lord of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him and we'll each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Now, if all of these individuals give him roughly 1,100 pieces of silver, in today's money, that's about 16 to 17 million dollars. And if inflation continues by tomorrow, it'll be 75 million. (laughs) It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And so here she is, she's like, man, yeah, I'm gonna make some bank on this. And so Delilah said to Samson, verse six of chapter 16, tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that no one could, um, that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, if you buy me with seven fresh bowstrings, right, then that are all dried out. Then I'm going to be bound. I won't be able to do anything. So she does that very thing. She goes, "Oh, the Philistines are coming." He jumps up, breaks the bowstrings, and does whatever he wants. And so she said to him, "The Philistines, um, yes, are upon you, but because of this, she's upset." Lada said to Samson, "Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how your might be bound." She's like, "He's like, hey, if you knew, if you use new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak like any other man." Took she took the ropes. She calls out, Philistines are upon you, Samson. The men lying in ambush that she had there waiting were in an inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off like a thread. Delilah said to Samson, until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said, and this, once I told you, he was getting more brazen. This is what sin does and pride does. It makes you more and more brazen where you think you can get closer and closer to that fire and never be burned. Because you're, He's a Nazirite. One of the three rules. Don't get, listen very closely. Don't get near a uh, a vineyard. Don't be near a dead body. And what's the other one? Don't cut your hair. Well, now he says, listen, if I have the seven locks of hair on my head that are being braided in a particular way and held together, then I lose my strength. Now, he's not saying to cut my hair. But he, think about the pride here. It's that close. He is so close so close in proximity to the ledge of falling off. And that's many of us today. We think that we can do what we want with never true repercussion of it, no real consequence. We fall into the fire and then get upset with God. How arrogant must we be? That's many of us today. The pride today, guys. I cannot tell you the pride today. I don't wanna, You know, as I have gotten older and um, and, and this, I've just God has taught me. I, I think a good bit. My friend came in yesterday um, from Connecticut. He's like, "Dude, you." Or a couple of days ago, he's like, "You have gotten so much more gray hair." I was like, "Wow, great to see you." <laughs> he's like, well, "It brings wisdom." Ah, no, that's actually a falsity. You know, it doesn't necessarily bring wisdom. But one of the things that, as I've gotten older, I've seen is we're also we are all all, notice the inclusiveness of that prideful. You know how many people come to me and tell me this is how you have to this is how you have to lead a church, right? Oh, you've got more than hundred people. You can't actually care for the people. I'm like really, because thousands of people came to, to the church every day in the New Testament, and they seemed to deal with it just fine. They they figured it out. You know how much you know how people, oh, what, but you don't have pews. You, if you don't have pews, you can't, oh, oh white, you painted that, and my great-grandmother gave the paint for that. Um, and, and then uh, we come up with all these things, and we're, so, we're just arrogant people. And the church, out of the church, doesn't matter, we're arrogant. I don't know about chairs. I don't know about paint colors, but I'll promise you this. The one thing that will happen at this church is the preaching of the word of God, period. That makes us a good church. And then we are to humble ourselves before God and repent of anything that we need to repent of that we have allowed to get in the way of us being able to serve a community in all of West Michigan in a way that is God-glorifying. That is our role and our responsibility. We're prideful and we're arrogant. In all parts of life. And here we're learning from Samson. Well, finally, he says, listen, listen, because that didn't work either. And so Deliah says, you've got to tell me this. How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times. Tell me where your strength lies. And she pressed him day after day and urged him until his soul was vexed to death. Right? This is what I told my wife. This is where the nagging wife comes from. Right? Can I encourage you not to do that? Right? It's like, she just kept coming. You got to tell me. 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 Finally, he says with all it says with all of his heart he comes and says a razor has never come upon my head i'm a nazirite to god from my mother's womb if my head is shaved then my strength will leave me and i shall become weak but be like other any other man delilah saw that she had told her his entire heart sent the message to the lord of the philistines saying come up he has told me his heart the lord of the philistines came up to her brought the money in her hands she just got really really rich so she made him sleep listen to this He just revealed to her, if you cut my hair, and then he goes to sleep with his head on her lap. Full of... Well, of course, somebody comes in, they shave his head. He gets up, he has no strength. They take him, and the first thing they do is they gouge his eyes out, which, if you really look at how they would do it, they would probably put something like burners into his eyes and melt them somewhat and then scoop out whatever is remaining. That's just what they would have done. He didn't even know. This is how arrogant he was. He wanted to go shake himself free but he didn't know he didn't even know it says that the Lord had left him. Wow. But the hair of his head began to grow again and after that after it had been shaved. The Philistines in essence they want to make a sacrifice to their God and rejoice so he says, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. He's going to be our sacrifice. So they bring him, they chain him in between two pillars of their big building there in Gaza. And he asks if he can lean up against one of the columns. And he leans up on one of the columns. And he says, God, give me the strength to revenge one last time. God gave him the strength to, re- to, re- to, to have revenge. And he brings down the pillars on top of himself and all the people. And he lost his life. Delilah actually means of the night. Samson means of light. And the light chose to give up the light to go be with the darkness and lost. And some of you are giving up the light of Jesus Christ to go walk in the darkness. And you are going to lose. I'm inviting you, encouraging you, begging you not to step into the dark. Don't get distracted. Don't lose your way. Samson's pride made him naive. It made him naive. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. It's one of my favorite passages. Pride goeth before the fall. Do not think another one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Pride gives us, and you know, this is what pride does. It gives you an inflated view of self, a false sense of security. I can put my lap in or my head into her her lap and nothing will happen. I'm Samson. Pride directs us to listen to God only when, when it enhances our current desires rather than desires being shaped by God. I can do whatever I want. You see, Samson never really integrated his faith into his life. He used it as a weapon to get what he wanted. He never integrated his faith into his life. He used his faith as a weapon to get what he wanted. He would call out to God when he wanted to achieve something, when he wanted to do something, when he wanted to get his way. His problem, he had many, pride, insecurity, impulsiveness with women, all of those things. But his real struggle was his devotion to God. Our devotion to God is always the real struggle. Ephesians 5 says that you are either going to walk by the spirit or you're going to walk by flesh, but you can't do both. That's Ephesians chapter 5. It gives you a list of what it means to walk by the flesh. Or it gives you a list of what it means to walk by the Spirit, That leads to the fruit of the Spirit. And it, it lets us know very clearly, you can't walk by both. And he walked by flesh rather than walking by the Spirit. Will you walk by Spirit? Will you surrender your pride? How has pride held you captive so that you're not being used by God in the way that he fully desires? What has brought pride blinded you to? There's the big question. As we conclude today, what, that's the question you have to ask. What has pride blinded you to? What is it for you? That's always our real problem. We, we we're blinded by our pride, living for self. Will you learn from the life of Samson? Will you learn that which you need to surrender, that which you are currently blind to? Will you, inlet, will you let others, will you invite them in to speak into that and go, do you think that I have pride in my life? Go ask your spouse Give me and just tell them because we all have pride in some way. So if, they, if you go to your spouse or a friend and say, how do you think, just tell me, I'm not saying that I have it, but if I were to have pride, what's the one way that you think you would see pride? If they're afraid to tell you the truth, I would tell you that you need to examine the type of relationship that you've established and let them speak into it so that we can step closer to what it is to live by the Spirit. God, I come before you and I love you and I praise you. I declare your goodness and I give you thanks for the powerful stories that we find throughout the Word. May we preach the truth of who you are with our lives, with our words, with our surrendering of self so that we might live according to you. In Christ's name, amen.